Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 230. Uh, and tonight we get into a new region. We're going to look at the narrative transition uh, from the dreary and depressing uh, journey, uh, cold and uh, comfortless journey that they had been on that we were looking at uh, Tolkien's description of in mercifully brief terms, uh, and look at the way that he transitions us into a new place and what he draws our attention to in that place as we begin to set the frame for uh, both the immediate next episode and the episode after that. So, um, that is what we're going to do tonight. Uh, briefly, one brief announcement here today, and that is I just wanted to remind folks, because we are approaching very close, uh, very we're, we're coming right upon um, an important deadline. This Thursday, June 9th, 2022, uh, at noon Eastern Time, is the deadline to register for physical attendance at Mythmoot. So Mythmoot is coming up very soon. It is the week after next. Uh, so we are we're getting very close. I'm getting very excited. I always love the first half of June and the anticipation for Mythmoot. This is around about the time I start getting really, uh, really excited. I keep thinking about my journey and keep like subconsciously feeling like I'm leaving sooner than I am uh, and all that kind of thing. Anyway, I'm really excited for Mythmoot. And uh, uh, anyway. We have uh, uh, we've got a whole bunch of people coming uh, this year. We've got we've got more than 100 people who are coming uh, uh, physically uh, to join us and a whole bunch more who are going to be attending digitally. Um, but I did want to make sure to mention uh, that there is um, we do, as I, I've mentioned before, we do have to give them we do have to close registration. We're being compelled. Uh, I haven't quite. I've neither kicked nor screamed, though I've been tempted to do both. Uh, but uh, anyway, we are being compelled to close in-person registration. Um, so that's going to be happening, as they say, this coming Thursday at noon Eastern time, wherever your time zone is, where whatever, whenever it is noon Eastern time on Thursday, that uh, that in, uh, that's when it's going to be. So um, there's still time uh, to register. If you register in the next... I don't know what 38 hours or something like that. Um, so um, anyway, so there we are. So I hope that uh, you will remember to do that. Can't wait for Myth Mood. We're going to be hanging out with some really fun people uh, and uh, having a having a good time. Um, so with that, let us jump into the text here. They had been a fortnight on the way when the weather changed. The wind suddenly fell and then veered round to the south. The swift-flowing clouds lifted and melted away, and the sun came out, pale and bright. There came a cold, clear dawn at the end of a long, stumbling night march. The travelers reached a low ridge crowned with ancient holly trees, whose gray-green trunks seemed to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Their dark leaves shone, and their berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun. Away in the south... Frodo could see the dim shapes of lofty mountains that seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. At the left of this high range rose three peaks. The tallest and nearest stood up like a tooth tipped with snow. Its great, bare, northern precipice was still largely in shadow, but where the sunlight slanted upon it, it glowed red. Okay. Now, what do you notice? What do you notice about how he... Uh, 
he indicates the transition and what the transition tells us, right? Um, first of all, he signals it with a change in the weather, um, which is interesting because if we go back, so I should have, I think I moved, hang on. Yeah, I did move the slide. I'm going to move the slide back up. <laughs> our slide from last time, just because I'm going to want to go back and forth more than I uh, had initially planned. So I wanted to, I don't want to have to scroll all the way through the whole time. Okay. Okay. Um, notice how in the previous slide that we looked at last time, um, the dreary part, right? The hard and dreary journey. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the weather. He talks about how cold it is. He talks about that wind. Remember, we were talking about the wind, the one thing that Frodo remembers, right? Um, uh, he re remembered little save the wind, right? So we got the wind um, and some things which point to weather, right? Cold and cheerless as a rule, for instance, um, but not much in the way of details. I would not have, um, you know, taken those descriptions and said, you know, that we saw much about the weather, again, apart from the fact that there was that cold wind. Um, coldness, yes, like, so seemed to be more interested in temperature than it was uh, in weather. But here, um, the weather changed, right? The wind suddenly fell, so that wind dies down, and then veered around to the south. So the, the weather changes when the wind changes, right? So on the one hand, He's now telling us about weather. On the other hand, it's it's it it is about the wind, right? He's looking, at, inviting us to see the wind, almost as like um, causing the weather, if you see what I mean, right? Um, the wind suddenly fell and then veered around to the south. So the 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 cold, freezing wind that had been blowing on them. Um, did it say? See, I I knew I was going to want to go back and forth. Um, did it say what direction the wind is coming from? I don't remember that. I want to say it's an east wind, but I don't know that it's an east wind. Um, oh, does it, where does it say out of the east? I'm, I'm missing. That's what I was looking for, but I'm missing that. From the mountains. Okay, right. From the mountains. Right. It doesn't say. From, I'm looking for the word east is why I'm not finding it. Okay. Okay. So it's coming from over the mountains. Right. Okay. So I was right in my impression that it was an east wind. And this, of course, feels significant. Right. Um, just as that um, red star in the south seems to be associated, we're invited, I believe, to associate it with the baleful attention of Sauron. Um, at least Frodo seems to be associating it in that way. Um, uh, so, too, the wind, while not explicitly connected to Sauron and Sauron's will is nevertheless coming from the East and the East is throughout the book associated. Not, I think 100% of the time. I think sometimes things people go to the East or come from the East um, without being associated from Sauron, but it, it's clearly the dominant association uh, is Sauron in the East. And sometimes of course we get the, the sort of, you know, paradigm of East versus West, which in Middle-earth always means, you know, Mordor and the Dark Lord on the one hand, Valinor, right? Elvenholm and Valinor on the other hand. Right, Captain Mo says, uh, East 
or East, right? Lowercase or capital, um, right? I am referring to the East, the capital E East, right? Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so the, the, it's not just that the wind veers around, right? The wind suddenly fell and then veered around to the South, right? So the East wind stops. And when the East wind stops, we get a nice South wind, right? Which is not reaching its searching fingers in through all their clothes uh, to make them miserable and freezing. Um, notice that it doesn't say that it's warm, right? It's still a cold, clear dawn. Like it's not a balmy day. And yet it conveys this sense of cheerfulness, right? The clouds lift and then melt away. The melting of the clouds it's 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 a it's it's a metaphor which seems to me anyway to convey warmth right um you know it's melting like ice melting in spring right or like butter melting on your toast or something like that right it's it's associated with warmth um increase of temperature right again we're not told it warms up greatly um but the clouds are lifting and melting away and the sun came out now the, again the sun is pale right so this is a summer sun. It's not hot, um, but the sun is out. It's not dreary anymore. Um, uh, yes, and fourth thought was you're right. In the next sentence, we're reminded it's still cold, right? Not only because he says that the the, the dawn is cold, um, but we're reminded that they're doing night marches. So the sun, the sun doesn't help right when you're when you're walking at night right uh when you're walking at night in the winter time uh in particular um so yeah yeah it's, it's it's still cold but again although we are not totally allowed to forget that it's still cold and that the the temperature does not we don't have much reason to think that the temperature has actually risen um uh massively it doesn't matter that that a shift has been conveyed, right? The weather has changed, um, and what we get is the brightness of the sun, right? The sun came out. Um, the sun came out pale and bright. There came a cold, clear dawn at the end of a long, stumbling night march. Doesn't this whole pair? Doesn't that feel like um, a kind of? a sentence which encapsulates in brief this entire paragraph, right? There came a cold, clear dawn at the end of a long, stumbling night march. It's like that um, miserable, cold, shivery, comfortless, cheerless, uh, you know, uh, march of the last couple paragraphs, right? Crawling like a snail um, has been sort of characterized or sort of epitomized, right, in this long stumbling night march. Stumbling, like them going off and not feeling, at least the hobbits don't feel like they're on any kind of path that's going anywhere sensible, right, um, or anything like that. Um, long stumbling night march, and now a cold, clear dawn, right? It's still cold, right, but it's clear. It, it is a dawn, right? Um, the coming of The coming of day the coming of light, the arising of the sun, right? Just exactly all the things that we're seeing happening in this kind of, um, you know, longer term, bigger picture way. So it's a, it's a, it's a very striking transition in this way. And then after that 
la- that like little synopsis sentence, we get into where they actually are, right? Um, they're not just in the same places where they've been, and now, but now the weather's better, right? Now it's now it's sunny where it wasn't before, right? Um, which appears to be apart from I guess the wind is not only from the south, but presumably less, like we're not speaking of the wind in such painful terms as we were before. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, um, we get now a description of the land around them. The travelers reached a low ridge crowned with ancient holly trees, whose gray-green trunks seem to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Their dark leaves shone, and their berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun. Okay, so we get two sentences, right? The travelers reached a low ridge crowned with ancient holly trees, whose gray-green trunks seem to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Um, that they're noticing details like this around them... Um, it's funny, it kind of gives you the impression of, well, of like waking up from a bad dream, right? This long stumbling night march, right? Um, uh, and, uh, but now you wake up and you look about you, right? For the first time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So, okay. Um, Notice the description. Um, their dark leaves shone, and their berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun. Notice all the light language there, right? Their dark leaves shone, and their berries glowed, right? Shone and glowed um, are the two verbs. About the holly, right? It's the holly trees that are radiant, in the dawn sun, right? And when you, when you combine that with the other verb that we got in the previous sentence, that is crowned, right? Low ridge crowned with ancient holly trees. Um, we have a rather striking, um, a rather striking description, right? The ridge is crowned with holly trees. Like the holly trees are like a crown on the ridge. Um, and the crown is set with jewels, right? It is shining uh, like silver or gold, uh, and the berries are glowing red in the light of the rising sun, like like radiant gems, right? Um, yeah, right. Um, it is true that... Um, uh, as uh, Jackie reminds us, public service announcement, holly berries are toxic, um, um, which is interesting in itself, right? As Connor points out, the image is hopeful, but holly berries are, are toxic, right? Um, it is Christmas wreath material, uh, silk waistcoat. That's, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, yeah. Almeria was thinking about that, Um thinking about how uh, close to Christmas this all is. We're, uh, we're, oh, I skipped over an important thing we talked about last time, how we didn't get any time markers, right? How long they'd been on the way. We just got one. 
They had been a fortnight on the way, right? Totally skimmed over that, right? So we now know they've been traveling for two weeks. And that itself is interesting, right? By not giving us, he gives us this sense of like it went on for a really long time, but you don't really, can't really tell exactly how long they've been trudging and creeping like snails in the dreary and cold and comfortless time, right? It's only afterwards, right? It's only as the page is being turned on that, um, you know, depressing, but fortunately brief little chapter of their journey that we're told in retrospect, right? That was a fortnight, right? Um, best not to dwell on that fortnight, right? So yeah, it's a fortnight after Christmas. So it's epiphany. Yeah, exactly. It's epiphany. Um, Epiphany uh, is the feast of the celebration of the uh, appearance of... Um, isn't that when... Um, uh, Epiphany is about the star, isn't it about the star? Right, that's when the, that's when the, 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 that's when the wise guys show up, right? On Epiphany. Um, the, uh, the kings, right? Yeah, it's about the star. Um, yeah, yeah, the Magi. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Yes, Epiphany is Twelfth Night. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, yes. Um, Anyway, so we're we're right around there, right? We're we're right around there, and um, which is an interesting time to be talking about crowns, right? Using crown metaphor, um, thinking about like what the magi actually do <laughs> when they show up uh, to the the um, uh, the Christ child, um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Son of Saradox says the ancient tree trunks and the stone of the hills juxtaposed makes me uh, remember forward uh, to Fangorn. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's one of the things that I really like. I love how the, an the ancientness of the holly trees is emphasized, right? Whose gray-green trunks seem to have been built out of the very stone of the hills. Um, and I love... Um, that's the first thing we get. Right. It's crowned with holly, but but don't picture little, you know, new little holly shoots or something like that. Right. These are ancient holly trees. So it's the ancient tree of the trees that we that is first emphasized. Right. So holly, holly trees and ancientness are the two things. Right. Growing things, living things, growing things, ancient living, growing things, which seem themselves to be like at one with the stone. Right. Almost as if they're made out of stone. And these are the glowing, radiant, shining uh, things. Right. In the rising sun, uh, which are like the uh, the precious metals and gems on the crown of this particular ridge. Right. Um, they are crossing into a new place as Gandalf is going to inform us soon. Right. Um, and of course, where they are crossing, uh, they're crossing into Holland. They're crossing into Eregion, the ancient realm of the elves, of the Noldor elves in particular. Um, ancient, but like not as ancient as their other realms, but still 
you know, from a third age perspective, um, ancient. Um, so we have old memories, old memories of elves, old memories of elves who invented jewelry, right? And used to wear crowns and that kind of thing, right? A lot. Um, who were bedecked with gems and loved, uh, invented, literally invented gems. And uh, at least in one version of the story, literally invented gems. In other, in a later, in later versions of the story, they merely invented gem cutting um, and the making of, of, uh, of, of precious stones. Um, <clears throat> but um, anyway, um, notice how, I mean, this is one of those, like, this, these two sentences are like an Easter egg, right? <laughs> which, if you think about it, is this like an Easter egg which Tolkien wrote for himself. <laughs> I mean, there's, in 1954, um, which I'm going to the end of the process, right? When it was actually published, right? Not in the 40s, when it was actually written, right? Um in the 40s, when it was actually written, there was almost no one who would have gotten this reference. Um, I, I mean, Christopher wasn't even reading this stuff yet, right? I mean, maybe Edith would have gotten it, um, but um, uh, but man, this is um, uh, um, this is deep, deep Easter egg stuff, right? Now, now that <clears throat> the Silmarillion has been published, uh, you know, now that Tolkien died and therefore stopped revising the Silmarillion and therefore it got published, um, I don't know how old Tolkien would have had to have lived in order to have completed the Silmarillion himself. And I'm not sure it would have happened ever. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that 500 years would have been quite enough for him to finish doing to the Silmarillion what he wanted to do to the Silmarillion. Um, but yeah, praise, this really does seem to be a kind of an in-joke just for himself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, anyway, okay. But that's a fun thing, and I never really thought about that before, of these two sentences as sort of Easter eggs. But... Um, uh, but I, yeah, the more I look at it, the more I can't not see that. Um, but in any case, 0% of his readers, and I'm not even rounding down, <laughs> right? But literally 0% of his readers, um, would really be able to, um, uh, to understand, like to get the references, to be thinking of the Silmarillion here. Right. Um, because, of course, not only had nobody read the Silmarillion, but also there's not even I'm in even evoking the Silmarillion in my head. I'm using information that he gives us elsewhere. Right. We haven't even had Gandalf yet identify the region for us um, and tell us that elves once lived here. And I certainly haven't read you know, the appendices and unfinished tales in order to know which elves lived here, 
right? We can put it together. We were told about Eregion, right? That was mentioned. Celebrimbor, we were told, was from Eregion when Gandalf was telling the story of the forging of the Rings of Power, a very short version of that story, back uh, in the Shadow of the Past, right? Um, so we, we do have a little bit of information there, but it's not really enough uh, for us to even know this was the ancient realm of the Nolor elves in Middle Earth, right? Um, uh, we don't we we don't even know that, right? So even if we knew what that meant, we wouldn't have this, right? Um, uh, we wouldn't be able to parse this exactly. Um, but um, but yeah, agreed. Fourth Thomas, even knowing the Silmarillion, it's a really it's a very it's a very deep cut. I agree. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm uh, sorry. Aspen asked for what the um, what is the Easter egg referencing? The Noldor, right? A reference to the Noldor, like the association using holly as the which was the symbol of the realm of the Noldor here, and the holly is being described in uh, it, it like a, you know with it's being characterized as a crown uh, and uh, therefore evoked as you know, bright metals and gems like the Noldor were most famous for wearing. I mean, it's a very, it's a very brief association. I'm not saying that Tolkien was um, even necessarily like really conscious of this, but it does, what does it convey to us, right? So without all the background information, what does it convey? Um, well, it conveys um, majesty, beauty, Preciousness, not, it's a dangerous word to use, I know, when talking about the Lord of the Rings, but um, um, that's what I mean when I say value, right? I mean, it's expensive. Like, this this place is, uh, um, this place is um, pimped out, right? Uh, I, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but majesty, right? It's still a crown at the end of the day, right? Um, there's something monarch like about this place. Um, and that, I think, is designed to give us a hint, right? There's utility there. We don't have to get the references. We don't have to know this Omerillion backwards and forwards to see that, you know, we don't have to get the Easter egg in order to be able to feel the force of that, right? Um, when Gandalf is going to tell us that elves lived here, Legolas is going to tell us that the elves that lived here were unlike the elves, his kind of elf, right? From those two pieces of information, we are left to speculate. What were the elves who lived here like, right? But we should remember when we start doing that, that we've, this is the, our first piece of context, right? The first thing that we see about the edges of this new realm that they're entering into is this crown image, Right, this two-sentence crown image where the holly itself is forming a crown. Um, it makes me think, of course, for Lotro players, uh, of the Rudauran crest. I love how they did that with uh, the trees of the forest, right? They make to look like a crown um, as the symbol of Rudaur, of Arnor. Um, but, um, but this is different, right? These trees have, or these are not dark and shadowy trees, right? These trees have their own gems. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's really nice. Um, we do know that the Noldor existed in the Lord of the Rings, Carnamiriae, though we usually just refer to them as high elves. Um, 
in the main text. There, he's using Hobbit language. Um, uh, or like, I, sorry, by that I mean he's using language that is like the language used in The Hobbit to talk about the elves. Um, uh, high elves and wood elves, I mean, the categories there. Um, but the, the word Noldor definitely does get alluded to um, more later in the story than beginning. And again, that's kind of what you would expect, right? We begin um, the story within the frame of reference of The Hobbit, right? The story begins like it's actually going to be a sequel uh, to The Hobbit, right? Um, And so when in chapter three of the new sequel, which was originally chapter two of the sequel, um, we have Frodo saying, these are high elves. They spoke the name of of Elbereth, right? Um, But then later on, we get um, references to the when the frame has changed now, right? We get references to the Noldor a little bit more later on. Um, I do think that they were also named in Thria's company as well, but, um, but, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, they do mention that this is the, uh, region where the rings of power were forged. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. I don't, he mentioned, Gandalf mentioned that it was in Eregion, uh, that that happened. And I think, that the name Eregion is going to... He's, he's going to call it Holland, of course, but I'm pretty sure Gandalf is going to say... If I put a couple slides in, let me see. Uh, do we get Eregion? Yep, Eregion. Eregion was its name. We're getting that in paragraph after next. Um, so, yes. So, we have enough information to put that together, that the rings were made... Um, the, El- the Elvish rings of power were made here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, that's very strange, Arden Crayon. I know the word Noldor appears. Um, the Noldor made them. Feanor, perhaps, right? In the description of the Palantir, at least. Gandalf says that. Um. Oh, no results in the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. No, exactly. I... Okay, I was uncertain about that, but that's exactly what I'm not surprised to hear, right? That we get references to High Elves earlier on, um, and more explicitly to Noldor later on. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great. Yeah, where's uh, excellent. JJ says in the, in the Return of the King, there are 17 mentions of the word Noldor, and none in the Fellowship. Yeah, that sounds to me exactly that confirms what I would have expected to find. Uh, that's great. How many, by the way, in the two towers? Zero, 17. How many in the middle? Uh, well, some of them, of course, are in uh, are in the appendices, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it must include the appendices. I wonder how many in the regular text um, prior to the appendices. But I know, I'm sure there are a few. Um, but I'm sure there are a lot in the appendices as well. Um, anyway, yeah, definitely more, definitely more lore, obviously there. Anyway, never mind. That's not relevant here because it doesn't say Noldor here. And again, it doesn't need to, and it wouldn't help (laughs) if it did, because nobody knows who the Noldor are anyway, yet. Um, what matters is, 
what is being associated with them. Crown, ancient, built out of the very stone of the hills, shining, glowing in the light of the rising sun. These are the things that are being associated through the holly trees with the elves, right? The elves whose kingdom was symbolized um, by, uh, by, by, by holly. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. All 17 in the Return of the King are in the appendices, right? Right. Neat. Neat. So the one that I quoted, Gandalf's reference with the Palantir, is the only reference in the body of the text. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, more. Away in the south, Frodo could see the dim shapes of lofty mountains that seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. The, at the left of this high range rose three peaks. The tallest and nearest stood up like a tooth tipped with snow. Its great, bare, northern precipice was still largely in shadow, but where the sunlight slanted upon it, it glowed red. Okay, now, notice what happens here. So first, we get the hopeful and promising thing. The weather changes, right? It, if it doesn't actually warm, it metaphorically warms up, right? Brightens up in any case and certainly gets less dreary. And at that moment of less dreariness, right, that transition, um, that transition when the weather changes, the transition from the long stumbling night march into the cold, clear dawn, right? Um, that moment of transition, we get the ancient holly trees and the crown and the shining and glowing in the light of the rising sun, right? But then the second thing we get is all this stuff about the mountains. And that's in the south too. Remember the wind coming from the south was a good thing, right? And yet we've got these mountains. Now, what do you notice about the mountains? What's the, um, what are we supposed to, what's the take home here? What kind of, prompts, what kind of cues are we getting as readers to think about the mountains, to associate with the mountains? Yeah, a tooth half covered in blood, that that can't be good. Right? It's like a tooth, which is ominous, right? And then it's got red on it. That 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 can't be good. That can't be good. Um Notice, I love the metaphor that he uses in that first sentence. Away in the south, Frodo could see the dim shapes of lofty mountains that seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. To stand across the path that the company was taking. That seemed now to stand across the path that the company was taking. Um, it's like the mountains have stepped to the side deliberately to block their path, right? The mountains are just standing there, right? Um, standing across the path like a bouncer, right? Um, the mountains, normally mountains are not, they might be threatening, but they're not aggressive usually, right? Like they, they don't sneak up on you, mountains, but these mountains totally 
sneaking up on them. Bricktails, it does give the impression of the mountains seeming to be actively trying to impede them, right? It's not, it's, it doesn't actually happen, right? Um, but the, the, the metaphor there, right, of them standing across the path, um, they're not literally standing across there, but they're kind of literally standing across the path, right? But again, it, 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 it conveys this idea of the mountains actively trying to get in their way, right? Um, there's, an, there's, there's an attempt here by the mountains to thwart the company. We haven't gotten to Karathras yet, right? And the mountains are attempting to thwart the company. Um, and then there's three peaks. The tallest and nearest stood up like a tooth tipped with snow. Okay, so the tallest one is like a, a, a tooth that's probably not good. Um, it's bare northern precipice in shadow, and the rest of it glowing red. Um, yeah, yeah, Dan, I agree. They're probably they're. I think you're detecting another Easter egg here, right? Um, uh, the myth that Melkor raised the Misty Mountains in order to impede the progress of Orome across Middle-earth. By the way, Dan, for, for, for the record, I suspect that this passage is not a result of that myth, but that this passage is the source of that myth. Um, I, would, um, I would wager five bucks that it is talking about the mountains in this way. Not only their general role, like Karathras in thwarting the company getting to the other side, um, uh, but the, the way that that's being set up here, um, I bet you that it's um, uh, this description that is actually... Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, my... Uh, let's see. If I can stop it. My Windows is threatening to update spontaneously like they do. Um, but anyway, um, that, um, that... That... That is totally how a lot of Tolkien's myths are born, actually. Um, where um, a reference, what looks like a later reference to an earlier myth, is actually the imaginative point of origin <laughs> of that myth. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Um, let's see. Yes, Bjorning, uh, you're right. The wind from the south is definitely a hopeful sign. We were talking about the hopeful sign before, as you were suspecting. Bjorning's late. Um, later than me, I mean. But... Um, uh, but you're right. There's this irony here. Right? Or again, I think this is the other thing that um, strongly contributes to the sense that I have that the mountains are actively hostile, or at least are sort of representing, are being associated with this sort of active hostility, right? It's almost like Bjorning 
you have um, the South Wind, which is trying to help them, right? To try to bring them hope. So what happens? The mountains veer around. Uh, they're not just in, in the east anymore, right? They try to veer around <laughs> from the, you know, from, to cut them off from the south, right? To come between them and the hopeful south wind. Um, and notice how a similar effect is created um, uh, um, no, notice that a, a similar effect is created when um, uh, we've got the light of the sun, which has been the cheerful thing, right? Um, the cold, clear dawn, right? Um, the sun pale and bright, um, the light of the rising sun and the berries glowing red. These are all really nice things, right? Um, but when the light of the rising sun falls upon the mountain, which we know to be Karathras, right? Though we haven't met it yet, but falls upon this one mountain that is being singled out. Um, it glows red, just exactly like the berries. Same words, glowed red, identical, right? But um, it's um, when it's a tooth or an upthrust tooth that is glowing red, it it has a different effect from the holly berries glowed red in the light of the rising sun, right? Um, it's not tipped with blood, it's tipped with snow, right? Um, but even the, the mere fact that it's tipped with something, right? He doesn't say it's tipped with blood, right? Um, but... Um, yeah, Aranas, that's always been my understanding, too, that when he says the wind um, veered round to the south, it means it's blowing out of the south, right? Veered round to the south. So it became, it was an east wind, it became a south wind. An east, east, and that means the that's the, the direction it's coming from, not the direction it's going to. Um, so, yeah, that's my I believe that that's the uh, um, the English, um, really the British euphemism. We don't really talk that way in America, um, but um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's nautical jargon, Bjorn. You're right. Um, um, yeah. So, see, blood. I don't think. I don't think. Well, I hope you'll see why soon, but I do not think that the point of the mountain paragraph here is completely to undermine the previous paragraph. I don't think that this merely shows that it was a false hope, a, uh, a completely false hope. I don't think that it was a, um, um, like just a trap all along, right? Trying to lure them uh, into hope when actually the the south wind was still coming from nasty hostile mountains just like the east wind was right i don't think so and the there the two things that can three things that convince me of that is first the reference to the mountains standing across their path um and it's both of the, they're headed south 
The wind is coming from the south. And in between the two of them are these mountains, right? The mountains are standing across the path, both of them and the wind, right? I don't think the, the wind's not coming from the mountains. The mountains are merely trying to get in the way. Again, if anything, it's almost like the mountains are trying to stop or hold back the south wind, just as they're trying, to, you know, uh, almost looks like they're trying to stop um, the, uh, the company, uh, right, from uh, proceeding along its snail-like path. Um, uh, yeah, so um, anyway, um, so that's one point. The other point is what we'd have to see later in a few paragraphs. Um, Frodo's response to the wind, uh, the south wind, uh, and the sun suggests a real positive change. Like the mountains cannot succeed. They do not succeed in utterly thwarting the south wind. So again, I see them in opposition to the south wind, not in not, not as the source of the south wind. And the third thing is that the mountains, they're not capable of undoing the beauty of the holly trees and the shining leaves and the glowing berries. Um, the crown in the light of the rising sun is still there, right? Um, that's not false. Um, it's old. They don't understand it, or at least we don't understand it for sure. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's the other reason why I don't, it's, it doesn't change the other things that are being associated with this change in the weather, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so exactly, well, I, seeming fair but feeling foul, I, I, I don't think that's what the south wind is doing, right? The mountains um, feel foul. Um, they might seem fair and feel foul, the mountains, right? Um, but um, anyway... Um, well, last thing about the tooth, the tooth, it's like a bared tooth, right? Um, the fact that you see a bared tooth, which is, he uses the word tooth and not fang, right? And yet it's a mountain, right? Um, it's a tall mountain, which I guess perhaps could be, um, sedately squared off on the top and look like a nice peaceful herbivorous tooth. Um, but I rather doubt it, right? I rather doubt it. Um, so I suspect it's more fang-like, right? Um, especially as it looks like it's stained with blood, uh, in the light of the rising sun. Um, and so therefore, in other words, it looks like the bared, like a tooth bared in a snarl, in their direction, right? So I, I, there's definite, the mountains are like associated with, with definite hostility. And again, think about what they were before, before they were in the East, right? And the East wind was coming over the mountains, right? Um, and that sense of hostility, right? Um, the, uh, like the evil attentions, uh, or, or, uh, sort of will of Sauron focused upon them from afar, the searching fingers, remember, like the will of Sauron, the mind of Sauron searching for the ring and for Frodo, um, through his clothes was under his clothes. The ring is under his clothes, right? Um, so, you know, we, all these reasons to associate the searching frigid East wind, uh, with Sauron before, um, then the south wind comes up and what happens? The mountains 
associated through the wind with the hostility uh, and evil intentions of Sauron before have in the night um, shifted around, right? And are now attempting to block them. Now this is the, they, now they have to elude the mountains somehow, right? Uh, as the mountains are like, are standing across their path, threatening to block them, threatening to engulf them. Um, and this, um, this, that all seems to fit, seems to fit very well, especially, of course, this is going to become emphasized pretty soon with the fact that we know that <clears throat> at least one member of the party is actually, briefly, at this very moment, perhaps, um, as they're standing there on this ridge next to the ancient holly trees, looking out at the mountains to the south, <clears throat> at least one member of the party is at this moment actively mistaking that tooth-like glowing red mountain with Mount Doom, right? We, we know that Sam, at this moment, thinks that he's looking at Mount Doom itself, right? And so yet another and more forceful way um, in which, uh, uh, more forceful way in which we, um, are invited to connect the mountains with the will of Sauron, uh, in this way. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to glance ahead. Gandalf stood at Frodo's side and looked out under his hand. We have done well, he said. We have reached the borders of the country that men call Hollen. Many elves lived here in happier days, when Eregion was its name. Five and forty leagues as the crow flies we have come, though many long miles further our feet have walked. The land and the weather will be milder now, but perhaps all the more dangerous. Dangerous or not, a real sunrise is mighty welcome, said Frodo, throwing back his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face. Okay, I'm going to stop there for now. Um, and um, that Frodo paragraph is the other of those things which convinces me that the, the mountains are not the source of the wind, the south wind, right? That the south wind is not a, a false wind sent to deceive them, right? Um, Frodo's response, I think, is very telling. Um, Yes, it's dangerous that the land and the weather will be milder, right? Um, in rougher land, it's easier to hide. Um, in, you know, milder temperatures, it will be easier to, you know, to for people to be looking out and stand watch and things like that, right? That's one nice thing about frigid temperatures and bitter winds is that it's harder just to stand around on lookout for strangers in the land, right? Um even if you're a bird or whatever Sauron's spies are. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Easier for you and easier for your enemies. Exactly, exactly. Um, but Frodo's response, he acknowledges there are practical drawbacks, right? For practical reasons, it's dangerous. But this is a real sunrise. It's not a fake sunrise. This is a real sunrise. And that real sunrise is welcome. And his throwing back of his hood and letting the morning light fall on his face, I think can only be good. Um, again, 
I could see uh, an argument, right? I could see <clears throat> a reading where somebody would say, well, this is Frodo being deceived, right? <clears throat> He's being deceived by the false, uh, uh, the false appearance of, but no, the sun's, it's, it's still a real sunrise, right? Um, even if the wind were to be a malicious wind, right? If you, even if it were proven to be a malicious wind, it doesn't change the fact that, um, uh, it doesn't change the fact that they have, um, uh, it, the sun, the sun, the, the sun, the sunrise is still real, right? Um, yeah. Amorea is recalling Gollum's reaction to the sun later on. Um, and, uh, uh, Frodo's response does seem letting the morning sight, f- s- s- morning light fall on his face, letting the morning light fall on his face. I can't mess up the alliteration there. Notice how that works. Um, Letting the morning light fall on his face. So letting the light fall on his face. Um, Tolkien loves that kind of thing. He does this sort of thing all over the place. Um, <clears throat> thinking about the sort of the sound shape of his sentences. I'm not necessarily convinced that he thought his way through every sentence he wrote in that way. But I think that there are many times, especially when he's describing something visual or symbolic that he does think about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, letting the morning light fall on his face. Um, hmm. One of the things that the alliteration there really emphasizes to me, notice that both sides of that are passive, right? He's letting the light. Oh, that's a passive thing. It's, it's, it's not passive voice. I don't mean grammatically passive. Um, I mean, it's a passive sort of action, right? Um, to let something. And the light, too, the light is falling on his face, right? It's not... Um, there are more active verbs that could be used to describe the sun, right? Um there's something striking to me about him turning his face to the sun and all he does is like by throwing back his hood, he gives the sun permission, right? And the sun falls on his face. Exactly. It's not striking his face. Sometimes the strike, the sun, uh, strikes, uh, things, right? It doesn't, um, it doesn't strike his face. It just falls on it. Right. Um, so the sun gently falls on his face in response to him letting the light fall on his face, right? The light's attempting to fall upon him and he lets it do so, right? He throws back his hood and reveals his face to the sun. Um, and Almaria, I do think, I mean, we don't even have to remember ahead to Gollum uh, to think that this is a, this is a good thing. This is a good picture, right? This is a, this is a, not just a happy image, but a hopeful image, right? This is, um, uh, this is showing Frodo, Frodo's in a good place right here, right? Um, I can't not think of it that way. Um, he is welcoming. He is, not only is the sunrise welcome, it's mighty welcome, right? And then he issues an invitation to the sunrise, right? To enter his hood, 
right? Uh, to fall upon him. Um, yeah. And that I think is, uh, especially when we think back to Frodo's, the importance of Frodo's will, right? Frodo's will is something we've got to keep our eyes on, right? As it's clear, Gandalf and Bilbo were very much keeping their eyes on Frodo's will. Um, uh, as we could see near the end of uh, uh, the, at the end of the council and the first half of this chapter, which we've been in for a long time now. Um, but um, yeah, and good. Rachel is reminding us, uh, um, Rachel on YouTube is reminding us that Gollum hiding from the sun has already been talked about by Gandalf. Yeah. Um, uh, the sun falling on his neck. Remember, Rachel? Wait, could somebody, um, somebody look that up. Chapter two. What's the verb? What happens when, in Ga- when Gandalf gets all poetic in retelling Gollum's story and he feels the sun on his neck? What does the sun do to Gollum's neck? What's the, what's the sentence there? Um, burning. It's burning. The sun is burning on his neck. Yeah, Chris, I think you're right. I think we do get burning. He felt the burning and he looked up and that's when he shakes his fist at the sun and goes underground, right? Thank you, JJ. Uh, okay, one day it was very hot, and as he was bending over a pool, he felt a burning on the back of his head, and a dazzling light from the water pained his wet eyes. He wondered at it, for he had almost forgotten about the sun. Then, for the last time, he looked up and shook his fist at her. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, very good. Very good. Thanks. Um, yeah, burning... Dazzling. Notice it's 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 bombarding. The sun is bombarding Gollum from both directions, from above and below, right through its reflection. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a fun parallel, right? And um, as who was it was reminding us that we already had this. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Was it? I always, always miss it. Whenever I go back for something, I can never, I can never find it again. But anyway, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, point is, um, we do have, we've not even met Gollum yet firsthand, right, in this story, and yet we already do. We've already been given that parallel. And Frodo turning his face up and welcoming the sun um, not only tells us something about him and sort of what's inside him, right? But it also tells us something about his direction and where he's going. And it's ironic, isn't it? Um, Think about the way that the whole thing is reversed. Gollum is moving from the light into the shadow, um, literally and figuratively, right? Um, Frodo is moving from the shadow into the light. It's a dawn, right? After a long, cold, stumbling night, right? Um, so it's it's dawn. It's the morning sun. He's transitioning from the darkness into the light, right? Um, now, I'm not saying that Frodo is leaving a life of darkness. Uh, it doesn't, the metaphor doesn't work the same way with him there, you know, in his case as it does with, in Gollum's case. It's a little more emphatic in Gollum's case, symbolically speaking. Um, um, but this emergence out of darkness. Um, and again, I go back to just like the previous fortnight, right? It wasn't um, a time of 
like evil, right? Um, but it was that shadow and dreariness um, and oppression, comfortless, right? Joyless time. That's a, in, in the economy of this work, it's kind of a big deal, right? And that Frodo, it's not just that circumstances are working so as to provide Frodo relief from that through the shift to the south wind, the melting away of the clouds, and the rising of a morning sun. Um, but it's also about his response to that. It's, it matters. I think it does matter that Frodo welcomes the sunrise and lets the light fall on his face. Um, yeah, oh, Connor, that's another really good one. Um, Connor's remembering ahead to the sun shining on the uh, the crown of flowers on the head of the statue of the king at the crossroads in Athelion. Um, that's a fascinating sun moment. Um, I think this is um, this this would be a wouldn't this be a good paper topic? This would be a great moot paper, right? Um, sun on people's faces in the Lord of the Rings, right? And looking at the whole shape of that. Um, you know, I think that you could, um, uh, you could even throw in Faramir and Eowyn on the walls of Minas Tirith in that discussion as well, actually. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, lots of fun opportunities. Sure. Fourth Dauntless, you could talk about Gollum's riddle as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Good. So Silk Westgate was thinking about an eye and a green face um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, um, there's a there's a lot to think about there. I think this is a, I think we have uh, we have struck here upon a. Uh, a visual cue. Which I think is clearly of symbolic import at multiple places. Right. In the story. Um this gesture just feels significant, right? Um, a transition is my subtitle for this slide because, um, largely because of this moment, right? Gandalf is going to tell us about how they're actually c crossing a border right here, right? Um, and that's, um, you know, so it's a it's a transition in that sense too, from one land into another land, or from no land really to a land that used to be somebody's land um, uh, but isn't really anybody's land anymore <clears throat> but it's also this larger and more um, more symbolic transition as well um, which I think is important and then we're going to get Pippin and Gandalf so I'm going to stop there however um, uh, I'm going to stop there because we're out of time and we'll finish this. Besides, we can't do two whole slides in a day. Are you kidding? I'll throw off my numbers. Um, we, you know, we might finish before I turn 80 if we did two slides in a day. We can't have that. So um, anyway, we're going we're gonna to stop there. Um, we'll come back and we'll, we'll we, I kind of skipped most of paragraph one because I really wanted to get to Frodo's response there. Um, so we'll look at Gandalf's speech again, think a little bit more about the elves and how, he did, how Gandalf describes that. And then we'll look at Pippin and Gandalf's um, exchange uh, there uh, down in the second half of this uh, 
of this slide. Um, <clears throat> we didn't regress a slide, praise. We just uh, referred back. We just referred back to the previous slide so that we could uh, we could make some comparisons, which is which is the responsible thing to do. All right, I'm gonna let folks go. So keep in mind, <clears throat> I will be here next week. Um, next year, I'm planning, as far as I know. Class is normal on Tuesday night, and then no class the week after. I was thinking of doing class, but then I realized I really should not do that. I gotta get everything ready for Mythmoot because uh, I'm leaving the next day. So I'm gonna. Uh, I shouldn't do class next Tuesday. So we're not gonna do class on Tuesday. So next week will be Mythmoot week. I'm doing no broadcast at all next week because it's Mythmoot week. Uh, well, okay. Instead, I'll be broadcasting like many hours a day <laughs> for you know the whole second half of the week, um, and. Um, uh, so, but so we will be next week, then off the week after, and then we'll be back for a couple weeks after that. All right. Okay. Very good. Well, let's do our it's field trip time. Unfortunately, uh, Valori couldn't be with us today, but um, uh, yeah, I'll stick with me. But don't forget, you are doing a Lotro marathon Thursday night at Mythmoot. I am Thursday night at Mythmoot. We'll be doing um, um. Be do, I'll be doing. Um, I'll be exploring the Yondershire and the new quests. The uh, the new the uh, word that I've heard on the street is vaguely prequel to the breaking, uh, the breaking to the uh, scouring of the Shire uh, themed quest lines of the Yondershire. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, I've never done them, so I'm going into them um, uh, almost. Uh, without any hints or clues. I say almost because, of course, I'm going to be in the business of collecting hints and clues this uh, very moment here as we are headed back over there. So we did get the milestone, so I'm going to, I'm going to milestone it. We did our cross-country journal uh, journey, so I'm going to go straight to, to No Bottle here. Now um, raid people up when I get there. Awesome. Good. Yeah. So let's head over and then, uh, we can, uh, we can get rated up there in no bottle. So we're going to start in no bottle in the Undershire, and then I'm going to see what we can learn. Don't tell me anything that, you know, from quests. Well, I'll do the quest thing, uh, with Grifflet when I'm, um, uh, when I, when I'm at Mythmoot. <clears throat> what I want to see is what we can, what we are being informed of by the visual design here. The layout, the architecture, the things we can see. There's a lot of continuity, of course, but there's one what seems really obvious difference, and that's the brick, right? That was the thing I couldn't help but notice last time even when I was actively attempting not to notice anything, and that is all of this brick around. Um, Am I right in thinking that? Are there places in the Shire where they have red brick? Uh, um, I don't recall like there this? being any. I think mostly anything brick-like would have been maybe Frogmorton, where they were doing repairs on the end. Right. Yeah, I just this looks very striking to me. It's striking, like it's the the overall architectural style is very similar. Right, not just the round doors and windows, but the whole um, kind of like the little dormer windows and the slopey ceiling, you know, um, uh, you know, eaves and um, you know many of the other elements, the slanty chimney tops and stuff. All of that stuff um, looks very similar, but 
just the way in which the red brick stands out, especially when I'm looking at a whole, you know, wall like this, right? Um, the uh, we don't get anything like this, even in places where we know that they are building. I mean, of course, like you wouldn't expect, for instance, um, Brandy Hall to look like this, right? Because Brandy Hall is in a hill, right? Brandy Hall is an actual smile, not a building. Um, but um, but even in places where we get actual buildings, like the Marish, you know, at Farmer Maggots, um, like Frogmorton, where also in a swamp, you're not exactly going to be tunneling into the swamp, right? Um, yeah, I, only three times, and then the castle stands. Well, maybe if you're if you do it particularly well, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the so much of the rest is very shire like these um, uh, lamp posts, for instance, mm-hmm. look very familiar. Lamps. Yeah, the stone walls look very hobbit like. Um, I mean, it's clear that the same kind of aesthetic, um, uh, the the same kind of aesthetic uh, uh, sense, right, that informs the uh, rest of the Shire applies here. Oh, we can go in? Uh, we should do that. Green door. Hmm. I, I see it as like an cool. interim sort of nod because we all know where the brick will come up in the Shire in the future. So this is mm-hmm. like the it's it's kind of like an interim phase that you know, it's Hobbit architecture, but it's this ugly brick. Um, and then what will be in the future? Well, we know, but we don't know. I, yeah, I was trying to decide whether the effect of the red brick is supposed to be... Okay, you said ugly, right? And it's true that ugliness is associated with brick buildings in the Scouring of the Shire chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I'm, I was I was trying to decide if it's supposed to be off-putting in that way. I don't get that feeling very clearly. One of the things that's really interesting to me about this is that these walls in here, this does not look like new brick. This no, looks it like looks very old. old. Yeah. It, it looks like a pub in, in Boston, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. I mean, it, we're here in a pub, and so, so where'd they seems... get the bricks from? Yeah, yeah. Nancy, you're right that the ceilings are awfully high for Hobbit buildings, but that's true of all Hobbit buildings in Lotro. Um, they always do this, like, uh, you know, five foot radius round door thing, um, mostly just because we couldn't um, get around. We'd all be clunking our heads like Gandalf yeah. in the movies. We'd all be like dragging our heads through the ceiling if uh, that were not the case. Um, I find it fascinating how many NPCs they have sitting around. Just It, it feels like a living bub. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, I am briefly putting on floaty names so I can see just looking well, around. Don't go for... outside, you'll see spoilers. Oh, I see. Alright, I'll take floaty names off. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, you're right, um, movie Aristotle. This is 
this place is jammed. There is no, there's no pub in the Shire that has anything like this kind of population. There are more tables, and the tables are fl- are all occupied. There's people not only sitting in all the, or not all of them, but not only sitting at the bar, but standing around in circles, right here and over there. I mean, look at this standing room. It's it's just, yeah. This place is rocking. So many hobbits. Um, One definitely does feel like this is a much more popular, this place is actually, like this view right here, I mean, there are a lot of us, of course, which is not helping matters, Mm -hmm. but it feels crowded. I mean, like, even if I were the only PC here, this particular view where we can see the standing room hobbits in four separate chambers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, All the way down the hallway. Um, feels more crowded than anything. I feel like there are more hobbits in this um there are more hobbits in this inn than there are in several entire towns in Agreed. the Lotroshire. Yeah. What surprises me is the fact that we're not lagging from here to Kingdom Come. That's true. That unfortunately has been a Lotro problem of late. Yeah. And so true. the NPCs would cause lag, you would think, but all of us would make it worse and I'm not experiencing it right now, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, now, when I come down here, one of the things that I... Did you see that? That guy sneezing into his elbow? Yeah. Good form, sir. Good form. That's 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 really funny. Um, uh, <laughs> I like that. Or he's coughing into his elbow. There he goes. <laughs> that's really funny. Anyway, um... A little, little, a little touch of uh, of the 2020s there. Um, but anyhow, um, look how much fun we're having in here, right? We've got a little band is picked up and people dancing. The atmosphere is light. Like this doesn't feel like it's crowded. Like uh, you know, people coming in and uh, all, you know, having some kind of uh, I don't know. Um, not like a sardine can in here. Right. It's, it's not like people are taking refuge in here, nor is it like there's some kind of assembly, like some kind of, uh, um, you know, solemn convocation or something like that. It really just feels like this pub is uh, like happening. This is the happening joint. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently the population of the Yondershire is enormous. Um, absolutely enormous. Um, okay, so lots of hobbits. They build in brick. They've clearly been building in brick for a long time. This is an old brick building. And yet, the building with brick is... Brick is mentioned, I think. Sorry, I'm looking at the text now. Yeah, Brick is mentioned when they come back to the Shire. Yeah, no, there's that. But I'm thinking of I'm thinking of a different thing. Um, JJ, can you find it for me? It's much easier for you to find it than for me. Um, in concerning hobbits, Fellowship of the Ring, um, the um, the reference to 
their architecture and their learning building from the Dunedain. Thank you, JJ. That's just the one. You're already on it. Even in the hilly regions in the older villages, such as Hobbiton or Tuckborough, or in the chief township of the Shire, Mickle Delving on the White Downs, there were m- now many houses of wood, brick, or stone. Yeah, okay, so that's just what I was remembering. And so there are two elements of that that I, that I, that I was remembering and that that is confirming. One um, is that it mentions that there were many... Um, many buildings made out of brick. But the other is that it's a newfangled thing, right? Notice that it says even in the older villages there are now many houses. So there are houses of wood, brick, or stone. Now there are houses of wood, brick, or stone. And there are now houses of wood, brick, or stone even in the older um, in the older villages, right? Um, yes. Great JJ saying the previous sentence mentions how um, in the flat and the low-lying districts, the hobbits, as they multiplied, began to build above ground, right? And that's what segues to that, right? Which is why I would say we would expect to see something like this perhaps in the Marish. Um, but um, uh, but even there, I think we saw, we saw wood, I think we saw stone, but we don't see brick. Boy, this, uh, this room, which was always a fun room, has uh, really gotten more and more fun. Uh, now this party is really hopping in here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so. it's presaging the dance, uh, uh, Serena's dance lessons. At exactly. Right now we're going to be mm-hmm. dancing at Mythmoot pretty soon. It's so true. Okay. Um Right. Yeah, so newer locations and some newer places in old in old towns. But this this is old brick. So this is an old town that was built in brick originally, is what I'm seeing from the inside of this pub. It was less obvious from the outside. But Yeah, I um, I was read that um that phrase that JJ quoted is the point was that they were houses and not hobbit holes, not so much of what they were constructed of, but still brick became a symbol uh, later on. It was pointed out that, yes, there is more bricks than there used to be. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. It's going to be important in the scouring. Um, but we, but it's not, but brick itself is not an innovation. Um, like, it's not like a, a technology that the, um, you know, the brigands bring with them or something like that is my point. Um, and also that where there are two occasions on which we are told hobbits tended to build, not just with brick, but with any, um, uh, with any other, um, thing. Ooh, Farmer Maggot's place is brick. JJ, could you send, could you, could you, do you take a, send me a picture, uh, post a picture of Farmer Maggot's place. Um, Oh, in the text, it's built of brick. Yes, exactly. Which fits with the prologue, and indeed, JJ, I suspect, inspired that sentence in the prologue. Um, uh, yes, yes. I agree. If it's in the, the text, it's probably that way in the game. I just don't remember seeing this kind of brick. But it would be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see. 
Um, okay. Let's, although I hate to break up the dance party. Um, let's go back out. I want to look around more outside. Okay. Yes. All right. So that confirms what I was looking at. Um, on the one hand, if we look at the east side of this road, this line of brick houses, okay, sure. Um, you have a large population, you can tell from the pub, right? They need more houses, and so they build a few of these cozy little houses out of brick over here because of, there's no hill side over here uh, in which to delve smiles. But um, over here on the west side, um, we, we see this place. This is a smile actually delved into the hill. But they've chosen to give it a brick facade anyway. Now, there's nothing like wrong with that. It's not like it's amoral, right? But what it does show is that brick is not just a practical means for the making of some of the houses here. Um, it's the chosen aesthetic of the entire village. In... I'll be very surprised. This is what I would be very surprised to see anywhere else in the in the Shire. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are, um, but but I don't remember them, and I don't think there is. Whenever we see them built in, we get wood, um, maybe some um, like wattle and daub kind of like the sort of Tudor uh, facing, Tudor style facing, and that kind of thing. Um, maybe stone even, but I don't remember. Right, Ben Furlong is plaster over block. Okay, good. Yeah, I did not think it was red brick. I did not think it was red brick. Right, so Bima, it could be something like wanting the new thing. Right, but what I'm trying to figure, look at the, look at the, uh, look at the mortar. Look at the green in the mortar. This is not new. This is not new. This looks like old brick again. Right? Yeah, some houses in stock that look like gray brick. Right, like slate or something. Right, Stone, right? Not necessarily actually... Certainly not red bricks in this way. Right, let me keep looking around here. So this suggests, yeah, see the, see the um, windmill on the top of the hill? That looks like the rest of the Shire. No brick there, right? But all of the houses, every single one of them, houses and smiles alike, all have the red brick. Oh, and there's what look like granary towers up there with the the wood and plaster wood and plaster 
Um, now, here's some wooden plaster. At least this one place is. Or maybe uh, some bottle right. and daub, actually. Oh, a familiar face. Oh, we got some of both over here. Second story, brick. Lower story, plaster here. Oh, you can plaster. go into the post office. Right. Huh. That's a fairly skinny looking fatty bulger, I'm just saying. Looks a little skinny. That's suggestive. Um, we'll find out in a couple of weeks what he's all about. We'll, fi- we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Right. If he's fatty no longer or not. Um, look at this plaster, though. Check that out. Look at that. It's plaster over brick. There it is. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Yeah. But if you go inside the post office, you can see what an interior would look like. Is this the post office? No. Or no. Is Fatty at the post office? No. Where's the post office? You were right in front of it. Turn around. Right here. Oh, this is... Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is, yes. Sorry. It, it was... The, you didn't... Yeah, sorry. ...understand my... Uh, General uh, direction. My, uh, yeah, my... my. I was using unclear pronouns. Um, There's some beehives uh, on the... Right outside. It's yeah, right in the middle of the square, which is not where I would keep my bees, to be perfectly honest. Um, okay. No brick facing on the inside, for sure. So it's presumably under the plaster. Bricks under I the plaster. I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely plaster inside, not like wooden paneling or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love the little mail holes. That's really cool. Um, no Easter egg of a backwards map of Rohan or Anuminous, like in the right. Uh, right. Bingo Boffin quest in Eerie Eagers. Is there an actual vault keeper here or just vaults? Are these just, the post office safe think- deposit boxes here? Uh, maybe they're the, like the big parcel, like you're sending Mathems to people. Right, right. Yes, yeah, so if you get sent a Mathem in the mail, right. Perhaps, perhaps. For the Amazon boxes. Right. Interesting. Yes, good. JJ was just sending a picture of stock, which does look more like stone. Still stone and mortar, so it is brick-ish, right? Um... But um, but not red brick. Okay. So, on the one hand... So, what do we learn? What conclusions can we draw from the red brick phenomenon that is no bottle? That it's My not new. Ins- huh? Well, it's not new. I mean, that's the obvious. This right. is old brick. Right. My My conclusion is... It is not new brick, but this is still the entire settlement is new compared to the rest of the Shire, compared to Hobbiton 
or Mickle Delving or Tuckborough. And I say that because of that sentence that um, J.J. very kindly found and, and quoted for me. Um, that building, um, building with brick, stone, or wood was done in imitation of some, that the original Hobbit dwellings were the smiles dug into the hill. And that building with brick was a thing that came later. Um, and although you can still see, even in old villages, you can see houses made of brick, uh, uh, of, of brick, wood, or stone, um, the original places there weren't. Here, we don't have original places. We are not seeing pre-brick building hobbit holes, which then um, get... Uh, which then have separate houses nearby built with red bricks, right? Um, mm -hmm. Even the smiles here were constructed in the post-brick era, right? Um, and so, therefore, I see no evidence that anything in this town... If, if anything, the post office, which is plaster over brick, looks like... Almost like they wanted to uh, make it look like the other post offices, so they covered up the bricks... So that it would look that like would a proper sense. post office, right? Um, but uh, they have standards, you know. Yeah, exactly. But the rest of them, again, even all these smiles, every single one of them, all bricks. So now, some of the outbuildings, like that mill over there, mm -hmm. or the ta the the things up on top of the hills, right? The granary towers and the uh, the windmill that we saw. Yeah, this mill down here is definitely paint uh, plastered over brick, though. It's plastered over brick, too? Yeah, I can see behind the, the actual wheel. Oh, right. Ah, uh, yes, around the window. Yeah, still bricks. Again, it's like they want to make it look like a proper mill. Because everybody mm -hmm. knows that a mill made of bricks would be a monstrosity. Of course. It just well, isn't okay. done in a proper shire. Right. Who would do that? Nobody would make a mill out of bricks. That's repulsive. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, we do see old brick. But when I say old brick, I speak as an American. Right. Um, the brick in that pub looked like it could be from a building that's hundreds of years old. Right. So as an American, I say that looks really, really old. Right. Um, but by European standards, right. And by Shire standards, um, that's not very, very old. Right. Tuckborough has been around for more than a thousand years. Um, that's uh, not. I found the library. Oh, yeah. Where is the library? Up on the hill? There was something... No, up... it's um, down here by the river. Oh, really? Yeah. At the end okay, of the lane up. where the the, uh, the water wheel is, or the mill. The mill? Okay. Hang on, there's a building up on top of the hill that I want to see before I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah. Okay. Now, I know that bricks are very old. Nancy, as far as a global building resource is concerned, um, we've got lots of evidence about that, but not when it comes to Hobbit architecture. 
So what's fascinating to me is we're, we're calling this old brick, which is it's old again to American eyes. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. But this one up of, here, more bricks. Yeah. Under it. But in terms of age and how many thousands of years, how many hundreds of years and thousands of years the Shire has existed, a couple hundred years and no big deal. That's you know, a couple of long generations. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. This whole place it's looks like, like it could be cook. under 500 years old, which would make it very recent for the Shire. So that was one question that I had. Like, where, what is the... what? what the, one of the first questions I had when entering Yondershire was... What is going to be the historical relationship between the Yondershire and the Shire? And it seems, I would say, two things. One, that it's younger. Um, the whole thing seems to have been settled a good deal more recently uh, than the old parts of the Shire. The second thing that I would say is that there is not any overt pressure to conform completely to the rest of the Shire. There's a similar sensibility in how they design their buildings and things like that, but they don't mind making the whole place look different. I mean, the red brick look is a very different look, right? So it looks very distinct. However, there is not no pressure to conform, as we do see many of the buildings which look more like the rest of the Shire, which have plaster covered over their red bricks, like the mill, like the windmill, like, like the, 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 the water mill, the windmill, like this building that we're standing at right here that I was looking at up the hill, and um, like, like the... institutional uh, buildings, yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 like the, like the post office, exactly. Um, Whereas your standard houses seem to be less, they're less concerned about those. Um, so that there is a kind of distinction, in a sense, between um, a sort of distinction between the attitude uh, of the, like a, being from Yondershire is not just like the rest of the Shire, you know, in some, in some sense. Um, some evidence, I think, that the yonder, the yonder Shire residents see themselves as different. Not cut off, not trying to distance themselves, but a little separate from the rest of the Shire. That's one of the conclusions that I'm seeing here. Okay. All right. Um, it's a big place. It is a big place. Um, actually, I'm just looking at where I am in relationship to where no bottle was listed on the map. Um, there's a lot here. My goodness. Okay. Um, I'm going to be traveling around a good bit. We'll mm -hmm. Yeah. Travel out. I think I'm going to go. Uh, I think I'm going to go clockwise around the Yondershire here. Um, so next time we'll head down to Foxton Heath. And then up towards Ty. I know I'm halfway to Tyfield already, where I'm standing. But, um, but I think we'll swoop down Save around it. so we can do this a little bit more systematically, and we'll see where we get. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, we should run. Uh, hopefully, Valoria will be back with us next week, um, and we will um, look for. Don't forget, 
Thursday by noon Eastern time if you want to register to attend Mythmoot in person. Because um, I've been sternly told I'm not allowed to make exceptions. And I always follow the rules very meticulously. So, um, thanks everybody. Uh, and I hope to see many of you guys at Mythmoot. And I'll see, hopefully, uh, even more of you next week. Thanks everybody. Bye now.